0: Jerry Forgon and Doug Conley work for Taylor Forgon Capital Management. All opinions expressed should not be relied upon for your individual investment advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Taylor Forgon Capital Management and its clients may maintain positions in the securities discussed. If you are a Taylor Forgon client, please remember to contact Taylor Forgon in writing if there are any changes in your personal financial situation or investment objectives for the purpose of reviewing, evaluating, or revising our previous recommendations and our services, or if you would like to impose, add, or to modify any reasonable restrictions for Investment Advisory Services. We don't do the market. That is the title of this week's installment of the Long Only Podcast. Jerry, how's it going?
1: I am doing well, Doug. How are you doing?
0: I'm all right. I just thought I'd just lead right into it Go. with a provocative title. Why should we do the market? I mean, we're into investments, so why? obviously, we, obviously we're against the market. Uh, no, that's not exactly what we're saying, but it is a little bit of a counterintuitive approach.
1: I would so, use that term.
0: Pardon? I was going to use that term. Okay. So, what does "we don't do the market" mean to you, Jerry? Opening salvo. Well,
1: we've heard, we've said so for so long that we buy businesses, we don't trade stocks. So, in effect, that's what we're talking about. Where we don't do the market. I mean, obviously, when we're buying or selling, which we do do on occasion, um, mostly in our publicly public uh, portfolio process, it's. It's a shaving or an adding. It's not an outright sale. Those happen relatively infrequently because we own things for so long. But um, the real thing is, is you know, especially in a period like we're going through right now, where the markets are acting probably somewhat irrationally. I mean, is it? it it's not completely irrational, but somewhat irrational. And it goes in both directions, right? And we had irrational upsides likely over the course of the last couple of years after COVID, certainly in the, in the growth world that we are in. Um, so it goes in both directions, but the bottom line on that is you just getting caught up in market movement gets your focus away from the business. And because our focus is so heavily on business, we are, it's, a, and it's a tagline in our office. We don't do market or we don't do the market. We don't do market. Um, as a means to be able to refocus our, our attention on what's happening in the business. And where do I see irrationality come in? Look, values and what you pay for things can change all the time. I may have said this in the podcasts already, but my mentor, our mentor, Dick Taylor, namesake of the firm, half half the namesake of the firm, used to always say, are you going to let 1% of shareholders tell you what your company is worth? and particularly in periods of time where irrationality is happening or where wild, wild price swings are happening. And what he meant by that is on any given day, about on average, about 1% of shareholders, at best, I would argue these days it, it's less than that, but at best, about 1% of shareholders are pricing things. Um, and so, hence, are you going to let 1% of the shareholders tell you what your company is worth? And the answer to that, obviously, is No. Um, we don't have a choice a lot of times on it if, if we are in need of, of liquidity, but we're we're trying to set ourselves up and and I think it's important for uh, you know we work with a lot of advisors. I think it's important for them to focus on the funds that are in this type of investment need to be almost permanent funds. Um, you know the attempt to try and time things and the attempt to try and you know pick highs and lows. Um, Frankly, I think are, are are ridiculous. As as I've said before, in thirty seven years, I've never seen a trader be consistently successful. They may be successful here and there. Most of the time, I see, especially if they're wildly successful, um, it's it's once. You know, they make one big call, and their best thing they could do is walk away. It's almost, I mean, it sounds a bit like gambling, right? It's like if you put money on red and come up big, don't do it again. Just walk away, take your winnings, and and thank the Lord and call it a day. Um, so, but if we're, if we're talking about the building of wealth over long periods of time, which is what we're all trying to do here, it, it, it's permanent. And I had a conversation with somebody the other day and it happens to be, it, it, it got me thinking, I have never ever sold out of my portfolio, meaning personally, which I've been in our portfolio with my portfolio, our portfolio is one and the same for my whole career. I've never sold out ever. I don't really intend to. Um, and it, and where I think a, a good analogy, and we've talked about this before, is the real estate world. Real estate people, it's not to say they never sell, right? They do their exchanges, which we can get into another time. Uh, where they you big know, fan they, of the ten
0: thirty one exchange. Jerry, we're forgetting. not
1: we're not going to go there. Um, <laughs> you know, they will do their exchanges, but for the most part, they hold their real estate portfolio. And actually what I would argue there is that's actually no different than what we're doing. We might make changes in the portfolio from time to time. Now with us, it's years go by before we make those changes most of the time. Um, but we we never are out of our, our portfolio. And I mean, how often do you come across successful real estate investors who are You know, fully in cash and then fully invested, or you know, even 50% in cash, or then fully invested, they stay invested. They may manage their portfolio by making changes or exchanges, um, but they stay relatively fully invested. Another aspect of this, or taking this a step further, is when we talk about buying the business, and we get this question an awful lot too well, what would cause you to sell? And I'm not talking about, um, what would cause us to sell our portfolio? Because I just told you virtually nothing. I mean, notwithstanding that policy is terrible right now and they're doing just about everything wrong. Um, and I've had some people say, well, now will you sell? You know, And they well, no, because they haven't come into my office and said you cannot run your business, you cannot own a business, nobody can have a business anymore. You know, and they tell us not that... Yet. It, not yet, Next they haven't month. gone there yet, but... When they when they tell us that, I guess we're out of luck. But as long as we can still and I mean, this, this is the good news and and the optimistic side of this is, look, this still is a country where we can own own businesses and start businesses relatively easily. Um, and so, no, we're going to stay invested. But what would cause us to sell an individual company? And you know, why would we not react to you know, for example, right now the big bugaboo about growth companies is the effect of inflation and higher interest rates and blah, blah, blah. Um, all of which I think is, is nonsense, but nonetheless, that's what's happening right now. Why would we not react to those kinds of things? Or why would we not react to any sort of macroeconomic story of the day? Well, it's because when we're establishing the basis for why we will own a company, it's based on a vision that we and, – and, and as well the management. That's when, when we talk about well-managed companies in front of fertile fields of future growth, that management has to have a vision that they've articulated to us that's consistent with, a, with what our vision would be for the company based on our narrative process. What we see are the narratives in, in, in the economy and in, in demographics, technology, business processes. We talked about that before you know, that we think are, are driving things going forward the next five to ten years. And so if, if we have seen that vision realized, doesn't necessarily even mean we will sell the company um, because there are a lot of companies that realize their vision and then go on to still be quite successful growing companies for a very long period of time. Um, but generally speaking, in a perfect world, what we're looking for are companies that, are, that have a vision of what they want to become, what, they, what they, they think they can ultimately create, and they're on their path to that. And at any given time, our portfolio is largely made up of companies that are still on the path to that vision. And so that can, hence the point of multiple market and economic cycles that we will hold things through. Because while we're waiting for that vision to be realized, uh, you know, all kinds of things can and do happen in the market and the economy. Um, And rarely are they things that actually affect the vision of that company it's why one of the things that we talk about i would say the thing that we talk about with managements of companies most frequently is you know where are you in your vision what what do you how are you seeing your vision playing out over these next few years is there anything changing in in how you think this is going to be um a, a, you know accomplished how you're going to get to that, the, the goals that you have and i'm not talking about you know revenue goals or targets or gross margin targets. I'm talking about this is this opportunity we see out there, let's say referenced in an addressable market. Okay. Um, we, we see the potential for a $50 billion market for what we're our product or service. And either that market doesn't exist, which is really cool, or it's an existing market to some extent that we're disrupting and, um, where are you in that process and, and and chipping away at that? Well, obviously, we can look at their revenue numbers right now, and we're seeing a, a company that's doing a couple of hundred million dollars in revenue, let's say, and maybe it's a billion dollar market cap, and it's going after a fifty billion dollar addressable market. Well, just the obvious reality there is they're not they have not realized their vision yet, so um, we're we're not going to get shaken out because of what the market is saying the thing is worth as long as the company is, is still being managed appropriately. It's still lined up with what our, our views are, what our thesis is for the company, what our vision vision thesis being synonymous in this case. Um, and so I think that's an important thing for you know, investors to to understand about the way we approach things and, uh, and and keep that in mind as you're watching the craziness that may be going on at any, any given time in, in the markets.
0: One of the reasons why the idea of tuning out the markets is so fundamental, so important, is is how the markets play into this idea of predictions. And predictions are very hard, especially predictions about the future. We always say that we don't try and predict the market, we will try and predict the business. Yes, at some point you've got to make a bet, right? And you, and you've got to put your money where your mouth is. But they, they become predictions become very hard in, in the short term with something as is as dynamic um, as the as the stock market. And I mean, most economists can't even predict the past effectively, let alone the, <laughs> let alone the future. And and so the markets are just this. There's certain cases where the wisdom of crowds has a has a role. I would say the stock market at least on a day-to-day basis, probably not be one of them. And what did Lou Holtz say about the, uh, the polls um, back when he was at Notre Dame? He said if they, if they were perfect, they wouldn't have to vote again every week. <laughs> and If the market was perfect, they wouldn't have to keep doing it every day. So, if it,
1: Well, that brings up a whole nother topic about the, the desire for whatever reason or another for our industry – To make it so possible for people to be in and out of the market on a microsecond basis. I don't get it.
0: Well, that's exactly why for real estate, the the bug is the feature it's so hard to get in and out of the transaction costs are prohibitive. It's a pain in the butt title. And that's why it's, that's why it's become a a long-term investment. But they're even trying to securitize that now.
1: And there's, there's, there's movements afoot. I don't know that they've actually been successful or not. I haven't seen it. Maybe it has, I don't, this isn't something we've spent a lot of time on, but I've, you know, I've seen the, the, the proposals for securitizing buildings, for example. I mean, you know, what is the fascination with that? Well, I, I mean, you, you and I both know those that are creating those kinds of things want that kind of activity because that's how they get paid.
0: Well, I would say to a degree, wouldn't you say that the things like Fundrise, these crowdsourcing platforms and even ETFs, those are those are securitizations of real estate. And eventually, if, if it starts, it's going to start looking, it's going to start having stock features if you give it it's going to look it's it's price chart's going to look like a stock it's pri- it's going to if you you know what do they say all correlations go to zero go to 1 in times of market crisis and i think you're just going to see these buildings they're not they're going, they're going to behave like stocks equities in terms uh, of the wild most, swings
1: most definitely and and so you know i've said before we need to get back to investing for investing sake. Well, what is investing sake? What is investing sake is bringing the, the capital structure to, to, to the forefront. In other words, capital formation, you know, bringing capital to businesses to be able to run whatever the operation is, is that they're running. And, you know, part of that in the, is, is the need for, I mean, real estate is a, a crucial part of that. I guess less so nowadays that this whole work from home thing is happening, which I think actually might be waning a bit now. People are starting to realize it may not be the best thing in the world to have your employees completely on their own. But nonetheless, um, for the most part, real estate does serve that purpose of of, you know, being a, a center for businesses to be able to gather their employees, work together towards a common goal of, of reaching the vision. So there's, there's an important aspect, but, you know, it, it certainly shouldn't be the driver. Nonetheless, if you're going to start securitizing it and having second by second, microsecond trading, and you're going to have the algorithms all running it. And I mean, who's really benefiting from that? Um, I, I, don't, I don't think really anybody other than those that are, that are you know, surviving off of the transaction activity and whether it be by way of spread between bid and ask or whether it be you know, cents per share or whatever it is, um, you know, there's, there's got to be a better way to do this. And I, I will challenge – there's nothing anybody can say to me. I don't care who it is. And I've heard it all about how wonderful it is that this just creates more liquidity in the market. No, it doesn't. Not the kind. Not good liquidity. Not the kind of liquidity that um, that is just you know matching buyer and seller. Uh, it it it's, it just becomes a gigantic either either uh, you know computer who who has the biggest fastest computer in the hyperscale world or. Um, You know, who's who's guessing right today? It just it makes no sense to me from an investment standpoint. It's doing nothing to to benefit the economy.
0: Well, I think it's just so for some people, they justify it under a well-meaning, a a pseudo well-meaning attempt. Isn't almost everything justified by a a pseudo well-meaning As someone who spent a large part of his life justifying bad actions, I can speak to (laughs) I I can speak to that. Uh, But they're trying to democratize investing. I think I think that's where a lot of this lies it, at least that's the that's the window dressing and I think that you can't you can't democratize investing and expect these the returns to be the same as they were when you're dealing with these illiquid assets I think of something like like timber the classic the classic elite of the elite asset you know we're talking about buy-ins of tens of millions of dollars and now they've got you know, timber ETFs mhm and I, I'm doubting those have the same kind of returns that this extremely illiquid uh, bulk purchase uh, asset meant to be held over generations had. So,
1: I I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that that's it's it's the uh, I, I think it's been the undoing of a lot of, of uh, people's financial lives, to be honest with you. And and, and that might sound hyperbolic or whatever, but. Um, I, and it may be at the it may be somewhat at, at the margins at the moment, but, but maybe not. I mean, I, I think that as time goes on, the effect there's societal effects to this. We've been talking about that. The last podcast was a lot about that. Um, you know, if we're not, if we're not doing things that are ultimately benefiting, benefiting the entrepreneur and benefiting entrepreneurial capitalism,
0: Ultimately, that means
1: we're taking away from people's standards of living, in my opinion.
0: True. And, and one more avenue I wanted to go on with this idea of predictions is we if we try to predict, we'd probably just be hiding under a desk. Right now, from a policy standpoint, it's, it's rough out there, and we're going to likely need some sort of uh, change in leadership in order to have a truly pro-business economy. However, that kind of extrapolation may not always serve the investor well because we just don't know what, uh, what lies in store. In the last six years, we had basically a, a, you know, a, a game show host uh, be our president. I don't necessarily mean that – I'm not necessarily totally deriding the man by any stretch of the imagination, but we're talking about someone who uh, th- who is a TV personality uh, as, our, as our president um, and uh, certainly did a lot of things I like. But we've also had a, a, the economy humming along. Him, the the runway cleared for re-election. Then the then ends up being beaten by someone who was running fourth in the in the in the primaries. And uh, not to mention the fact that now it looks like the 2020 election was the biggest white elephant gift of all time. And we had and, and we had the uh, you know and then we had a, a completely um, just series of of surprises on the on on the end. For in a variety of fields, the Supreme Court, things like that, surprising decisions you only see once in a generation, and who would have thought all these things would have happened back as recently as late 2019? It's been a surprising turn of events, uh, and and both good and bad uh, for people in the in, in the economy and, and in the in society, and if we wouldn't have seen them coming, these are in a lot of ways almost black swan events, both economically and and socially. Some of which I'm quite a big fan of, but we did just did not know what was in store for us, and if we try to extrapolate too too much, we are going to likely just end up missing out on a lot of opportunities.
1: Well, yeah, you you said earlier that you know predicting, and predicting is difficult <laughs> no matter what you're trying to predict. But um, what I think where where I would go with your what what your your point is is that for us. Uh, analyzing a, a, a company and, and thinking in terms of, all right, what's their product service? How does it fit with our view of the world going forward, like I say, five to, five to 10 years down the road? It's predictive, but you know, once you do this for a while, um, it starts to become a little bit clear what are the types of things that will work. Um, there's there are certain consistencies, and we won't, you know, I'm not going to get into all those details right now, but there are certain consistencies in companies that are successful over time. Um, and understanding that you don't you, you will not get every single one right. Uh, we've been fortunate that in our careers, we've generally gotten most of our businesses right, not always, but most of our businesses right. And some of them, you get really right, and that makes for significant performance. You know, it only takes a handful of companies doing really, really, really well to just put your portfolio in, in hyperdrive. Um, what's really re- remarkable about what's going on right now is some of those companies, the ones that we see as being the most successful and actually are being the most successful, are the ones that have been hurt the most by this recent you know, pricing of, of, of the companies that's going on in the public markets. Um, so yeah, predicting is hard. So make sure that what you're predicting is something that is, has a a, a reasonably decent probability of being correct. And, yeah, when it comes to trying to figure out what the market is going to do or how it's going to price things on, on any given day or month or quarter or year for that matter. Good luck. I mean, I have no idea what the price of our portfolio is going to be over the course of the next six to twelve months. Let's say, I have a pretty darn good idea ten years from now what that's that. I don't know what the companies are going to be worth, but I can use common sense and say if they're successful in reaching their vision, and we've had a a record of, you know, well in the high ninety percentile of getting businesses right. If they're ten years from now even remotely successful at doing what we think they can do, I don't know what it's gonna be, but it's gonna be a whole lot more value than it is today. Use that example of the two hundred million dollars in sales going after a fifty billion dollar market and 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 is ten percent successful. Two hundred million dollar company doing a five billion dollar you know, going from two hundred million in revenue today and being priced at a billion and five billion in revenue ten years from now, what do you think that thing's going to be worth? It's going to be worth more than a billion dollars. I don't. I don't know what. You know, will growth portfolios be in and out of favor? Be in or out of favor ten years from now? I don't know. If they're out of favor, maybe it's, you know, that five billion dollar company is trading at thirty billion dollars. If it's in favor, maybe that, that company is – that $5 billion in revenue company is trading at $60 billion. I don't know. But it's going to be worth a lot more than it is today.
0: And I was cautioning that against predictions writ large because we have to make, as I said, measured predictions for our business. It's when your prediction rests on something as dynamic as the, the market and the economy as a whole. We try to isolate it down to where a business fits into that. Yeah. And also when the – Particularly, particularly when the prediction becomes an excuse to do nothing, everyone's waiting for the real estate market to crash, everyone's waiting for an opportunity to buy in the stock market. when generally speaking, some sort of, of measured consistent action is the, that starts today is, is the way to go. And for people who are seeing' the real, who are waiting for the real estate market to crash, we've touched on this before, who knows anything could happen? I'm certain, we're certainly open to that, but the, the people I listen to seem to think, and I think justifiably so that those people who are just calling that blindly calling this a market bubble are trying to apply 2007, 2008 economic conditions on the current real estate uh, market, which is at a structural shortage. So we don't need to devote the show to real estate. I'm just talking about people are like, oh, it's it's expensive, I don't want to buy it. Oh, it's high, I don't want to buy it. Well, we know everything that comes up must must go down, but it also or tends to come down. But what if it goes down? You don't buy then and it goes back up higher again. You, you're, people are, are, using, are using these faulty prediction, faulty models to try to make expert timing decisions instead of, as I said, taking consistent long-term action.
1: Yeah. I mean you know, at any given point in time, anything can be over or undervalued. They usually are. I think fair value is rare. Um, as far as the real estate market is concerned right now, sure, surely there's the inflation factor that's playing into it. And, and you, you mentioned, I mean, we're still, what is it, last year, if you're talking about housing, last year was the first year since the, the financial crisis that we actually made the number of houses or built the number of houses in this country that we generally need just to keep up with natural you know demand, scrappage, and what have you. Um, that's a long time to go building less than you need. And so, yeah, there's a lot of pent up demand. And then finally the, you know, you got millennials that are finally getting into the market after delaying that much longer than their, uh, you know, baby boom parents did. Um, so a lot of that's playing, all those demographics are playing into housing that said, sure. I mean, this, a lot of this has gotten crazy recently. It probably does need some sort of a correction and it probably will happen and maybe happening as we speak. Um, there are a whole lot of things we can talk about with respect to real estate though that are you you touched on one of them the 1031 exchange there's a whole lot of things that are structurally in the that benefit I think you touched on it. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I guess I I tried hard. to bait you but you yeah. didn't <laughs> Um that's another podcaster or two or three or so. Um, but you know as far as, as just getting back to the point of predicting it, it's tough. And so when you're when you're trying to predict these things that are almost unpredictable like what the market's going to do tomorrow you're predicting emotions is it's, what you're it's doing it's purely a guess. guess it's it's purely a guess
0: well before we wrap up we're getting to our time anything you wanted to close on or have we said I think it all? we hit on it all i think we hit on it it's made the point okay well that being said thanks for listening to the long only podcast remember check us out com. rate us on itunes tell a friend And we appreciate, again, your listenership. We're looking forward to seeing you next week on the Long Only Podcast.